gospel lesson this morning comes from Luke, the 13th chapter, verses 31 through 35. At that time, some Pharisees approached Jesus and said, Go, get away from here because Herod wants to kill you. Jesus said to them, Go tell that fox, Look, I'm throwing out demons and healing people today and tomorrow, and on the third day I will complete my work. However, it's necessary for me to travel today, tomorrow, and the next day, because it's impossible for a prophet to be killed outside of Jerusalem. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those who were sent to you, how often I have wanted to gather your people, just as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings. But you didn't want that. Look, your house is abandoned. I tell you, you won't see me until the time comes when you say, Blessings on the one who comes in the Lord's name. It's the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You know, airlines, if you ever try to fly anywhere, airlines have some really crazy rules, even under the best of circumstances. And the way that they set airfares at times just defies comprehension. I found a story this week about a man who wanted to go on vacation. He couldn't decide whether to go to Salt Lake City or Denver. He wanted to visit Denver, but money was tight, so he decided to let the amount of the airfare make his decision for him. He called one airline and asked what the fare was to Denver. Airfare to Denver is $300 per person, said the reservation agent. Then he asked, what about Salt Lake City? Oh, said the agent, we have a really great rate right now to Salt Lake City, only $99, but there's a stopover. Where, asked the man, in Denver, <laughs> the agent answered. <laughs> what a crazy system. Usually it pays in life to know your destination before you set out on your journey. You want to know where you're going. And Jesus today knows exactly where he's going in our text this morning. He probably didn't have a set of written goals, but he knew what he was about. He knew where he would end up. And in our lesson today, his eyes are set on Jerusalem. He knows where he's going. He knows that this was his destiny and his destination. It was his will. It was God's will for his life. And he knew what was waiting for him in Jerusalem. This was no accidental, you know, Jesus getting caught up in something bigger than himself. He knew exactly why he was going and what would happen. He tells us in this passage, surely no prophet can die outside Jerusalem. Jesus knew that going to Jerusalem would be fatal for him, but he didn't turn back. He was committed and he was courageous. And most importantly, he cared too much to turn back. And who was it he was caring about? Folks like you and me. The everyday ordinary people was who Jesus was caring about. The outcasts. The poor. The tax collectors. The Pharisees. The people who would reject him. And yet he knew he needed to go to Jerusalem. He knew he had come for a purpose. And he knew that that purpose could not be fulfilled aside from him going to Jerusalem. So Jesus is on his way. 
The word, the words that we translate it is necessary is a Greek preposition, dei, D-E-I. Dei means it's, it's divine necessity. It is more than just Jesus felt strongly like he ought to go to Jerusalem. It is a divine imperative. It is written, it, is, it, it must be fulfilled. Jesus must go to Jerusalem. And so he goes. And it's interesting that it is, for once, it is a Pharisee who is friendly. Who says, you, you don't want to go to Jerusalem because Herod is after you. It's going to be dangerous for you to go to Jerusalem. You're going to get yourself killed. And Jesus isn't afraid. Herod liked to think of himself as being a lion. As being a great, important ruler. And Jesus refers to Herod as a fox, not to talk about the, the fact that he was um, sly or cunning, but rather he's insulting Herod. He's commenting on Herod's ineptitude or inability to carry out his threat. Jesus questioned the Tetrarch's pedigree, moral stature, and leadership and put the Tetrarch in his place. He's saying Herod may think he's a lion, he ain't nothing but a little fox. He can't touch me. And indeed, Herod had the political power to put Jesus to death. What he didn't have was God's blessing. Jesus was going to be crucified once his work was finished. And not a minute before. And Jesus says, I've got people to heal. I've got folks to teach. And he knew his time was drawing near. But he knew that his work was going to be completed fully in the crucifixion and resurrection, but that his earthly work had to be completed first. And until his earthly work was finished, and God said his earthly work was finished, Jesus wasn't going anywhere, Herod or no Herod. Instead, Jesus weeps over Jerusalem. He laments for God's city. Jerusalem had been the capital of the kingdom of Israel from the time of King David. It is said that King David conquered the land and Solomon covered it with buildings. He built a, an amazing temple that was destroyed when, they went, when the um, Babylonians came in and conquered them. And it was rebuilt. Jerusalem had been through so much. And God had sent prophet after prophet after prophet to them. And yet every time God sent a prophet, they didn't listen. Every time God sent a prophet, they didn't listen. The most successful prophet, I think, in the Old Testament is a prophet Jonah, and he's prophesying to the people in Nineveh which he doesn't want to do, but when he finally gets there, he preaches to Nineveh. Everybody converts to Nineveh. Saves a bunch of folks. But Jerusalem would not be held. And the religious leadership in Jerusalem <coughs> would not show compassion. There is a Peanuts cartoon that's been around for a long time. In the first frame, Lucy is standing next to a tree. 
Looking up, she shouts to Linus, What are you doing in that tree? Linus answers with branches, Looking for something. Then he adds, Can you see Snoopy? We climbed up here together, but now I don't see him. Lucy unsympathetically shouts back up the tree, Beagles can't climb trees. The next frame shows Snoopy falling out of the tree right on his head with a loud clunk. You're right, Snoopy concludes. Then Lucy lets Snoopy have it. You stupid beagle, what are you doing climbing around in a tree? Snoopy's sore head is still spinning. Linus interrupts from the tree. Don't yell at him, we're trying to find a strange creature in a nest. Lucy walks off saying, you're both crazy. Go ahead and knock yourselves out. I couldn't care less. Then Snoopy, Snoopy, with his head still sore and spinning things, says, rats, I was hoping for a hug. Sigh. Lucy is about as good of an example of the Pharisees as you can get outside of the Bible. <laughs> Lucy is absolutely rule-bound. Beagles can't climb trees. You made your own mess. You figure it out. Lucy doesn't have an ounce of compassion. Of course, Snoopy has just concussed himself on the ground in front of her. She takes off and leaves, and all Snoopy needs is a hug. And that's how the religious leaders were treating the people in Jerusalem. The Pharisees would make rule after rule after rule after rule. You think the Ten Commandments are hard to follow? Try 640-something commandments that you have to follow, and you've got to follow all of them, or you might as well follow none of them. Who can keep up with all that? Who, aside from the Pharisees, whose entire lives were devoted to this stuff, who, living a real life, has the time or the energy to keep up with all of that? And so they were riffraff. The common people were looked down on by the Pharisees. They needed compassion. They needed care. They needed to know that God loved them, and all the Pharisees had to offer them was more rules. In some ways, they had gone right back to the days of the Pharaoh, when the Pharaoh told them, you want to go off in the wilderness to worship your God? Make more bricks. Find your own straw. Make double the bricks you made yesterday. The Pharisees just burdened and burdened and burdened the people. And so here's Jesus, knowing that there's more to God than this, knowing that there's more to God than just following rules, loving God's people, wanting to reach out and draw them close because he hurts for them. He sees, he refers to them in, in other places as sheep without a shepherd, wandering lost. <clears throat> and he longs to put his arms around them and love them into the kingdom. Y'all, we have a choice about how we want to be. We can be like the Pharisees, and we can wag our fingers at people and, and tell them, you got to do this, you got to do that, and put rules on them and regulations on them and rule them right out of the kingdom. Or we can love like Jesus did. We can love and care 
We can give a hug when a hug's needed. We can give a smile when a smile is needed. I've never been much of one as a preacher for lecturing my people. Now I'll talk to y'all about what's right and wrong. And I talk about sin and I ask that we that I ask God to forgive our sins every week. But y'all, my job here as your pastor is not to be the chief Pharisee. It's to love you into the kingdom. And that's our job as Christians, is to love one another into the kingdom. Even those that are hard to love. Even those that are prickly as an old porcupine. We're called to love. In this time of Lent, may we be reminded of the great sacrifice that Jesus was willing to make on our behalf. Jesus knew the road was going to end at the cross. He knew what was coming. And in his humanness, he wasn't looking forward to it. We know that from the Garden of Gethsemane. He knew how awful this was going to be. And yet, he loved us anyway. His love was so great that he wanted to wrap his arms around us and draw us to him. May we be drawn into his warm embrace. And may we share his love with a world that is still hurting, that still needs a shepherd, that still needs his love. Amen.